The sermon text is the Holy Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his servants to summon those who were invited to the wedding banquet, but they did not want to come. Then he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat and cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But those who were invited paid no attention and went off, one to his own farm, another to his business. The rest seized the king's servants, mistreated them, and killed them. As a result, the king was very angry. He sent his army and killed those murderers and burned their town. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main crossroads and invite as many as you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out to the roads and gathered together everyone they found, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the servants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have you ever gotten an invitation to an event, a party, or a wedding that asks you to RSVP? So you go and you check your calendar. You see there's already something scheduled that day that to you is just more important. Opportunity to work overtime when money is a little bit tight, or a family function that you you really ought to go to because it's family. And to you, those things take priority, so you just decline the invitation. Then maybe you get an invitation that comes from somebody who you happen to know throws the best parties known to humankind. You know, when these people throw parties, the food is always the best. The wine is the most expensive. They only invite interesting, fun people There's no chance that you're going to get roped into any kind of undesirable activity like Monopoly or Pictionary. So you take this invitation and you go to your calendar and maybe you see something already on that day. You might even see some things on that day. And maybe they are important, but somehow this invitation just outweighs them all. You're willing to move those other things around, maybe even skip them all together so that you can go to this party. And you go... And you're not disappointed. It's, it's better than you even thought it was going to be. Well, today's gospel is about the best invitation you're ever going to get. It is to a real feast. A feast that is unique. Word that gets used a lot. But in this case, it is appropriate. It is a one-of-a-kind feast. There is no other feast that is quite like it. And nothing more important than accepting this invitation than being in your seat reclining at the heavenly banquet. The gospel from Matthew chapter 22, Jesus extends this invitation, shows us how this works, quickly set the scene. It's during Holy Week, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts in Jerusalem. Jesus' enemies are also there. These religious leaders are still trying to trap Jesus and discredit him. They've reached a point now where their hearts are hardened against Jesus. They have permanently rejected him. They're even conspiring to kill him. They hate Jesus. 
And one of the things they must really hate about Jesus is that he can read what is going on in their hearts. He can see this permanent, this hardened unbelief that there's no going back. So Jesus now teaches them that because they have rejected him as the Messiah, because they have turned away from him, God is now judging them and rejecting them. And God is going to replace them. He's going to replace them with others that he chooses to believe in Jesus as the Savior. And Jesus teaches all of that in the parable of a king who throws a celebration, a wedding feast, to honor his son. Jesus begins, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his servants to summon those who were invited to the wedding banquet, but they did not want to come. A new Christian I was once teaching was very bothered, very upset by the fact that the religious leaders of Jesus' own nation, and for the most part, the nation itself, did not believe in him as the Messiah, did not accept that he was the Son of God. And she kept asking, how could they do that? They were the ones who got to hear the teaching from Jesus' own mouth. They got to see the miracles with their own two eyes. How could they? And it is possible you know, to go into a real long, drawn-out explanation of all their societal and political motivations for rejecting Jesus, but it's maybe best just to stick to Jesus' own very simple and sad explanation. But they did not want to come. They just didn't want him. But now, watch what the king does. Then he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat and cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. And the king is displaying an amazing level of love and patience because those who turned down the invitation the first time they get a second call, a second round of invitations. Is this what you and I do when someone turns down an invitation from us? If somebody says, no, I don't want to go to your party, do you invite them again? We don't do that. What if you get an RSVP back and they don't just check the line that says regrets, but they write a nasty note on it? I wouldn't come to your rotten party if it was the last rotten party on the face. Are you going to send that person another invitation? We don't do that. But God the king does. He sends out a second round of invitations. And actually this time he even goes into more detail about how snazzy the celebration is going to be and says everything is ready. Come on. But the second round of invitations is declined as well. And some people decline it very coldly. They just turn around and walk away to other things that they think are more important. Others get violent. And they guarantee that there's not going to be a third round of invitations. But those who were invited paid no attention and went off. One to his own farm, another to his business. The rest seized the king's servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And finally then, the king's patience runs out. In his word, God promises infinite love, infinite mercy for those who believe in him. But nowhere in his word does God even claim to have infinite patience for those who do not. As a result, the king was very angry. He sent his army and killed those murderers and burned their town. Now that happened quite literally about 40 years earlier when God poured out his wrath on Jerusalem finally by allowing the Roman army to invade and burn it to the ground. This is the, the final fate, though, the final destiny of all of the decliners of the heavenly wedding invitation. What happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD is just a very small microcosm is 
of what is going to happen to every decliner on the day of judgment. It's going to be bad. And there's also a warning in this for us. When the messengers of God come to you with the call to repent, to accept this invitation through faith in Christ, do not decline. God's patience is finite. This is also a very relevant message for us in our time and place today. Because there are a lot of people in our neighborhood right outside that window who are probably right now declining the invitation to heaven. They do not trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. God is not infinitely patient, but he is patient. And we know he is still being patient with them because they are still here and Christ has not returned yet. We need to be patient like God and persistent like God and not give up and keep extending another round of invitations as long as God's patience holds out. It's also a message for Christians or for people who have maybe lulled themselves into a false sense of security by having their names on the membership roll of a congregation, but inside they are quietly declining the invitation to heaven. They do not believe it. What matters, what the king looks at, is in the heart. And this is also a message for us because we have a place here on Sunday mornings where God comes to us with this invitation to the heavenly kingdom. This is where the line between earth and heaven is the thinnest. Because God is coming to us with that good news of Christ. It's wrapped in his word, in baptism, and in the Lord's Supper. He is extending that invitation to us. And it's not just that. He's also using that good news of Christ to create the faith. To strengthen the faith that accepts the invitation. So it is very unwise to think that anything is more important or urgent than that. And you hear the same reasons, the same excuses, so many times that it does finally get hard to listen to them anymore. Oh, God is on the golf course too. I, I can be close to God on the golf course. Oh, I work hard all week. You wouldn't understand, but I work hard all week and God wants me to be healthy, so I need to... I need my sleep on Sunday morning. That's when i got to get my rest. And, oh, did you know there's, there is no Bible passage that says you have to go to church? There is no Bible passage that says you have to go every week and gather together with your fellow Christians? Oh, and I, I feel so much closer to God in my garden than I do in your stuffy church anyway. And, we need to remember that this is where God comes to us and meets us with that gospel invitation. And we need to be here to accept it, to hear it, and to grow in faith. Of course, God is on the golf course, because God is everywhere. That's not really the point. The point is that unless you're actually reading the Bible or being communed while you swing your five iron, God is not on the golf course growing your faith. And yes, God is in your garden, but he doesn't work through peas and carrots. He works through the gospel and word and sacrament. And no, there is no Bible passage that says you have to go to church. But you know what? There are a lot of Bible passages that say your faith in Jesus that accepts this invitation is under attack from inside and outside. And you need God to always be strengthening it. You say, what is he picking on me for? I'm here. I'm preaching to the choir. Well, preaching to the choir, okay, let's do that too to the people. Are there ways for us who are here every chance we get on some level, also to decline that invitation. Yeah. If you sit there and you hear, but you don't listen, or it goes in one ear and you let it slide right out the other. See, this is really a warning 
for every human being. Of course it is a warning for the people who are outright rejecting Jesus with unbelief. But it is also a warning for the people who do believe to hear the gospel, to hear it often, and to take it to heart. Now, Jesus' story does continue, and thank God it does. Even though the king's first rounds of invitations are declined, he is determined that his son is going to be fully honored at his wedding banquet, that the wedding hall is going to be full. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main crossroads and invite as many as you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out to the roads and gathered together everyone they found, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. And this is good news, that the gospel and word and sacrament is going to succeed. The good news of Jesus' salvation is going to have its way in many human hearts, and in the, and in the end, the wedding hall is going to be filled. These are the recliners. And don't be silly, they don't turn into lazy boys, but the word that's translated as guests here is literally the reclining ones or the recliners. And this is what people did at celebrations in Jesus' day. They didn't sit on chairs. They laid out on these inclined, almost dining couches around a table, and then this long table was spread with delicious, sumptuous food, and they reclined, and they relaxed, and they were served, and they enjoyed themselves. And this is what all believers in Jesus are going to do after he comes back on the last day, but it's going to be a feast that lasts through eternity. Reclining, relaxing, serving and being served and enjoying. But it gets even better than that. We are not only going to be the honored guests at this feast, we are actually going to be the bride at this wedding celebration. The Bible calls all believers in Jesus, the entire Holy Christian Church, his Eternal bride, spotless and holy. Sins washed away by Jesus' blood and clothed in his righteousness. And thank God that he has used that good news of Jesus' purifying blood, of his robe of righteousness, to bring you to faith and accept this invitation. In baptism, you were brought to faith and clothed in Christ's righteousness. And God uses that good news to keep you in faith still to this day and to keep you in faith to the end. Because without that robe of Christ's righteousness, nobody gets in to the wedding feast. That's the point Jesus makes at the end of his parable. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the servants, tie him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called but few are chosen. Well, you know, there are a lot of events. Today, almost all events have no specific dress code. Just wear whatever you feel like wearing, right? There are still some events, though, to this very day that are very dress code specific. And if you do not wear what you are supposed to be wearing, you will be bounced. You will be asked to leave. And the wedding feast of heaven is very dress code specific. You must be clothed in Christ's righteousness. There are decliners and there are recliners, but there is no third category. There are no crashers and there are no sneaker inners. You have to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And on Pentecost, as Apostle Peter said, there is no other name given under heaven to men by which we must be saved. Anyone not clothed in Christ's righteousness is not going to be welcome. And God is not fooled. He knows what's on the inside, what's in the heart of every human being. So thank God he has made you one of his people. He has clothed you in Christ's righteousness. You have the robe of righteousness that you need to be in the presence of a holy God and to celebrate with him and with his son throughout eternity. And the feast is going to be great. When Isaiah the prophet looked ahead to it, he saw a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine where God will swallow up death forever and wipe every tear from their faces. You are invited, and God has given you faith, clothed you in Christ's righteousness. Remain in that gospel. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Amen.